Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, what's happening now that Ireland has a third wave of COVID-19? As we ended 2020, we brought you two podcasts about vaccinations, how they work, and how Ireland's rollout will happen following approval. It was all quite optimistic and positive. Unfortunately, news this week of the European Medicines Agency issuing approval for a second vaccine, that one developed by Moderna, brought for many just quiet moments of hope rather than big celebratory moods, because Europe is in the middle of a pretty horrendous third wave of this coronavirus, and Ireland is feeling some of the worst of that. Lots of people tried to stay away from regular news updates over the Christmas period, which was an absolutely fair call given the year that we've had. But some details about how we got here may have passed people by as a result. So we've asked our reporters, Michelle Hennessy and Conal Thomas, into the explainer to talk about what's been happening, which led to the current situation in the community and hospitals. Michelle, before we get into the details of the last few weeks, can you just bring us up to speed about what the current advice, guidance and rules for the public are, given that we've seen changes? So Ireland is currently at level five. This is the highest level of the government's plan for living with COVID-19 with the most severe restrictions. And we've been at level five since Christmas Eve with the first restrictions kicking in then. That was the closure of restaurants and pubs as well as personal services like hairdressers. Now within each of those levels, there are, I suppose, levels within the levels, if you want to call it that, varying degrees of, of severity. At the end of December, for example, non-essential retail that was still open, even though we were at level five at that stage, that had to close on the 31st of December. And we've just had now further changes announced in relation to schools, construction, retail and international travel. So I'll just go through the basics of where we are at now. No household visits are allowed aside from those who have a support bubble and you can't have anyone into your garden for a visit either. People are advised to stay at home except for travel for work, education or essential purposes or to exercise within five kilometres of their homes. Although within that, the terms of work and education, that's still very restricted. Um, So people are advised to work from home. There was a big push for employers to facilitate this as well for their workers. Um, Something we haven't seen since the first lockdown last year is back now. That's the shutdown of the majority of construction sites from the evening of the 8th of January with the exception of certain projects like hospitals, schools and social housing. And we were also told that construction workers will be allowed to finish off a home if it's near completion. So they can finish things off like electrical work or do a snag list. We also now know that the majority of school students won't return to their school buildings uh, until after the end of January. Certain special schools and classes for children with special needs will remain open. Uh, And we also know now that uh, Leaving Cert students will attend for three days a week. It's up to the individual schools to decide which three days of the week uh, that students will attend. In terms of childcare, uh, those services will remain open for essential workers and for vulnerable children. Uh, There was also a new change to retail. Uh, Retail is essential retail only now and that can be that can stay open. Uh, And that's obviously been been in place already for a few days. Uh, But in the latest announcement, the government said that uh, click and collect services can no longer be offered. So up until recently, stores could still operate click, click and collect. That's been scrapped. Weddings are now a max of six guests and that change kicked in on the 3rd of January and funerals can have a maximum of 10 mourners. And we've also been told that people arriving into the country from the UK and South Africa will be required to have a COVID negative PCR test from the previous 72 hours. 
This is due to concern about the new coronavirus variants. And this negative test result will have to be presented on entry. People could face a fine or up to six months in prison if they're not compliant with this. And even a negative test result um, won't exempt them from that advice to self-isolate for two weeks after they arrive. So this is just an extra measure, sort of an extra protection. I mean, we've really seen over the last week or so, in particular, a real urgency in the tone of public health officials when they reiterate that basic advice that we're all used to. At the weekend, Deputy Chief Medical Officer Dr Ronan Glynn was asking people to reduce their contacts really right down just to the people that they live with. And if you consider those most recent changes, school closures, construction sites being shut down, no more click and collect in, at retail, this isn't necessarily about a belief that these settings have a high chance of, of transmission. In fact, the government is quite keen in terms of schools uh, to stress that it's not because schools are unsafe or they consider them unsafe that, that they're closing the majority of them for most students. Um, what, what they're saying is that it, it's more about reducing the level of, of movement, uh, reducing the number of people moving around, travelling to work or school on public transport, interacting with colleagues or classmates. And they're urging people to just stay at home, get your food shopping, go for your daily walk. But other than that, stay at home, stay away from other people. So we're really back to March, April 2020, basically. And what that means, if we try to pull a positive from this, is that we already know what to do. We've been doing all of the basic things for a long time. Uh, and we also know it works because we've seen it work previously. The numbers have, have been pushed down uh, by the actions that we took in the first lockdown. So it's really just keep the heads down now until things improve. Unfortunately, the situation is that things might get worse before they get better and they likely will get a little bit worse before they get better. Um, as we're still seeing the impact of that transmission over the Christmas period. Yeah, it's just trying to get that message into our head. Stay at home, stay at home, stay at home. Conal, Michelle has brought up what Effid are saying now, the public health doctors are saying now, but let's go back a little bit to the start of December um, because there has been a lot of he said, she said, he said, she said um, over what the advice was at the start and what action the government has taken. So can you bring us through what, in what way the restrictions were lifted at the start of December? What was Neffet's advice? Um, and was there a a difference between the advice to government and what the government actually decided upon? Sure, yeah, Sinead, there's been a, a lot of he said, she said, as you said, and um, I think maybe just go back, even before that, it's worth probably going back to the 22nd of October when the initial level five, six weeks was, um, that, when that kicked in. At the time, Neffet's aim, I suppose, was to get cases down to about 100 a day in order to allow restrictions to be eased in December and in the lead up to Christmas. We didn't get to 100 cases a day. Cases flatlined about 300 cases, and that further compounded kind of what we're seeing now. But just to bring us back, I suppose, to late November when NEF issued its advice to the government. I mean, it's fair to say that the government and NEF both agreed to an easing of restrictions over Christmas, but essentially they differed on what level of level three, essentially, we would put in place. NEF had recommended allowing household visits, but mainly over the Christmas period. And it recommended, this is key, that hospitality remain closed in that case. It was essentially an either or, you can't have both. The government, in the end, opted to allow hospitality restaurants and pubs to open from the 4th of December and then to allow household visits from the 18th of December. So to sum it up, I suppose, Neffa gave the government advice which essentially said, take a cautious approach, we can't have a free-for-all. Now, there's been a lot of criticism, I suppose, of the government in terms of allowing hospitality and pubs and uh, to open too early in December, which essentially meant we had to curtail things. But I suppose as we saw gradually from about the 13th or so of December on, cases then began to rise. They say they stuck at about 285 
for the first week to 10 days of December. And then on the 13th of December, they were at about 429. They stayed at about that until the 16th. But then we noticed between the 16th and the 20th of December that they jumped. And on the 20th of December, there was over 2,000 cases reported. The previous four days, we only had 400 odd cases. So by that stage, it was very clear the government knew it had to do something. And on the 22nd of December, it introduced level five restrictions with modifications. Restaurants and pubs were forced to close on Christmas Eve. Household visits were reduced from two to one from the 27th of December. Inter-county travel, which was obviously a big thing for a lot of people over Christmas, was also banned from the 27th of December, although people who had already traveled home were allowed to stay there until they came back, say, to, to their to their city or their town, say, to Dublin or to Cork. And then from New Year's Day, there was no household visits permitted at all. Do we know what happened or what the time frame is? So you say the jump we can see happened between the 16th and the 20th. Can that be traced back then to something that happened two weeks before that or 10 days before that? Or has there been much conversation about pinpointing exactly what what day this could have uh, started to slide? The I think the, the most, uh, perhaps the, the most interesting um, piece of information I've heard on this was Philip Nolan, um, I suppose, it, around the time cases jumped on the 20th of December and leading up to Christmas Eve, he was kind of saying, look, we don't exactly know what's happened, but whatever we did between the 1st and the 9th of December was not good. You have to remember that restrictions are, say, the level five um, lockdown was lifted on the 1st of December, and that allowed for a freer movement of people gradually. Restaurants and pubs opened on the 4th of December. Um, and I think it's important to point out here that as well, that if you look at, say, clusters and outbreaks, um, the only way we don't have, I was speaking to Chief Medical Officer Dr. Tony Hall about this the other day, we don't have real-time data on where outbreaks occur or where infections picked up. So the only information we have is based on data or HPSC data that comes through to say, to link clusters and outbreaks to certain settings. A lot of people will see this data coming out every week and say, look, there's zero setting, there's zero outbreaks, there's zero clusters linked to pubs and restaurants. But that doesn't mean that the virus wasn't transmitted in those settings. What it means is that public health teams are managing outbreaks in particular settings. It doesn't mean the virus wasn't transmitted there. So I think you can see gradually as restrictions were opened, the virus was picking up and it was ticking upwards all the time. Michelle talked about the travel ban there, Conal, which is pretty much uh, brought in because of the fears of the new variant of coronavirus. But what is the evidence that we have to suggest that it is a factor in the recent surge? So there is growing evidence that the new variant, the UK strain, is more transmissible. Um, We've seen it spread throughout the United Kingdom here in Ireland, um, listeners might remember at the weekend, um, virologist and director of the National Virus Reference Laboratory, Dr. Killian de Gaskin, he tweeted um, the most recent, this was evidence, up-to-date data on this, that recent swab samples of SARS-CoV-2 taken between the 23rd and the 29th of December, these were genome sequenced, and a further nine cases of the variant were identified from that. Now, that brought to 16 out of 169 samples so far analysed for the UK variant. So that's less than 10%. And he essentially said that based on that evidence, it's not responsible for the recent significant and concerning increase in case numbers. But I suppose it's important as well to look at the messaging around this um, as more evidence emerges. We heard yesterday that 
the new data would suggest that it's about 25% of, of samples taken now. Now, that hasn't been presented to the public yet. We're waiting more information on that. But a lot of, I suppose, criticism has been leveled to the government and the Taoiseach in particular for um, hammer, hammering home this message that the, the new surge in case we're seeing at the moment is due to the UK strain. He said on the 22nd of December that we should presume the UK strain was already here and that we should proceed on that basis. And then on the 30th of December, when the government had to introduce further restrictions. He said it was clear we were dealing with the UK strain, which had surpassed even the most pessimistic models. Now, if we look to the messaging from the chief medical officer, Dr. Tony Holohan, who um, on New Year's Eve it was, is quite clearly um, blaming the surging cases on socialization in the lead up to and around Christmas time. Essentially, it's probably worth noting that even if the the new UK strain is responsible for a significant number of these of the recent surge and new cases, which we don't yet know. It only is going to get into households by people socialising, by people mixing. Um, so I think it's important to remember that. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter how transmissible the the new variant is. If you only see one person, you can only give it to one person. I guess is the the message that Tony Holland is trying to get out there. Michelle, that kind of brings us up to more current picture um a lot of people will have tried to stay away as i said in the introduction from the 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 christmas numbers because of you know how it makes a lot of us feel on a daily basis but what are the case numbers like what are the indicators of the illness deteriorating to so in terms of where we are now, I kind of had a look back uh, to do a comparison between the 1st of December and the 1st of January, um, because that gives an indication of you know the, the deterioration over the one month period. Uh, on the 1st of December, Neffet confirmed 269 cases that day. Then on the 1st of January, uh, they were confirming 1,754 cases that day. Now that's a massive jump in, in just that one month. Uh, 1st of December, we had 224 COVID-19 patients in hospital and 31 in ICU. On the 1st of January, had 504 patients in hospital with COVID-19 with 46 in ICU. And then the seven-day uh, incidence rate was 39.9 per 100,000 population on the 1st of December. That went up to 198.3 on the 1st of January. So you can see the massive deterioration there. I mean, we could see where things were going on Christmas week. Christmas Eve health officials were reporting 922 cases for that day. And we were in the 900s for most of the week up to Christmas Day. Now, after Christmas, uh, about three days after Christmas, we heard from Chief Medical Officer Dr. Tony Houlihan reporting hospitalizations had increased sharply over those previous two days. And there'd also been a steep rise in positivity rates in community testing. The seven day average uh, was over 9.2%. Two days later, uh, Cabinet met and announced that we were going to full level five. So we, we talked earlier about the sort of varying degrees of severity within level five. Uh, they announced that, you know, we, we were going full on level five, closing down non-essential retail and gyms. And they also brought forward the ban on household visits. Although at this stage, schools were still due to reopen as planned. We know now that that was delayed until the 11th of January and has now been delayed again until the end of January, at least. Um, so, you know, sort of significant indicators there of, you know, real deterioration between pre-Christmas, uh, post-Christmas and even just over the, the month of December. Um, and, you know, in terms of what 
is going to happen next because uh, I think that's what people are, are, are concerned about now uh, and people may have missed the warnings you know as you said earlier people switched off I certainly switched off a little bit from the news myself over the Christmas and um, just to get a break from it uh, people may have missed these warnings about where we might go uh, over the coming weeks this week we, we had a stark warning from Professor Philip Nolan who's the chair of the modeling advisory group uh, scenario models, he said, raised the possibility of 1,500 to 2,000 people in hospital by mid-January and between 200 to 400 patients in ICU by that time. So this is the possible scenario without radical action to, to reduce transmission and incidence. And something that really stru struck me was comments made by HSE Chief Clinical Officer Dr. Colin Henry that even if we have complete adherence to public health advice, we're looking at 1,300 hospitalizations by the end of January. Now, health officials have said the system can't continue to cope with that level of impact. We have between 50 and 70 hospital admiss admissions per day, uh, and there's an expectation that this will get worse before it gets better. We've spoken before on the podcast about this lag effect. So we first see daily case numbers and incidence rates increasing significantly, but it takes a while before we see that translating into higher numbers hospitalised. Now we're beginning to see that happening and we're also seeing the knock-on impact in terms of ICU admissions. And unfortunately, what follows next is a rise in the number of COVID-19 deaths. Yeah, the death numbers are up at, at almost 2,300 now. Those predictions from Colin Henry and, and Philip Nolan, are they based on even with compliance at level five, we're, we still could see 1300 hospitalizations. Yeah, I, I mean, the problem is that we're really seeing this, still seeing this knock on the impact of uh, the high level of so socialization over Christmas and then people, lots of people coming together in households uh, seeing multiple households over the Christmas period. Uh, and also there, there was really a delay in people coming forward for testing, reporting symptoms. Um, and as we know, this has had an impact on, on the, the testing system as well. But really from, from Dr. Colin Henry, he was saying, with complete adherence to the public health advice. So if everybody does everything they're supposed to do and the country is fully locked down as, as it is going to be um, for at least the next month, we're still looking at 1300 hospitalizations by the end of January. How is the testing regime holding up or how did it hold up over the last few weeks? Well, I, I mean, I can't really sugarcoat it. It has been totally overwhelmed by what's happened. In the days after Christmas, GPs, like I said, were reporting that many people calling them had had symptoms for a couple of days and they'd waited to call, um, you know, maybe they didn't want to cancel Christmas plans or, uh, you know, didn't want to have to deal with, with testing over Christmas Day or, or Stephen's Day. So it was this massive surge in activity after the Christmas days. And of course, much of the transmission was happening over those days with large numbers of people mixing together in their homes. So the level of activity has really just been too much for the system to cope with. On New Year's Eve, the HSE announced a change in, in the operation of the system. Um, close contacts of confirmed cases, they said, would no longer be referred for a test. Uh, so they could ensure that those who actually had symptoms were prioritised for a test. Now, close contacts, they're still, of course, being advised to restrict their movements for 14 days and they'll still get a, test, a text uh, letting them know that they're a close contact uh, with some of the advice in that text message. Uh, and they're also still advised to seek a test if they do develop symptoms, but it's no longer automatic that they'll be referred for a test now. And just to give you an idea of where uh, the HSE testing system was at the stage they made uh, that announcement, they said that the previous before the announcement, they had processed over 26,000 swabs, over 2,300 calls were made to people with a positive result and almost 11,000 calls were made to close contacts. 
Since the 1st of January, between 19,000 and 28,000 swabs per day have been taken. And the latest positivity rate is, is 22%. Now, that, that's quite a high number, um, which people might quite find quite frightening. You should bear in mind that the rate was obviously going to go up because we're focused more now on testing people who are symptomatic, so are likely to be positive. But it is still very high when you consider the large numbers that we're testing per day. So this gives us an indication of just how high the levels of transmission are in the community. And if this situation continues, it's possible they'll have to narrow down the testing criteria further to specific symptomatic groups. So previously in the early days and um, when the, the test and trace system came under pressure, groups like healthcare workers or those in the vulnerable categories were prioritised. And no announcement in relation to a change like that has been made, but, but it is a possibility. And like we said earlier, there had been plans for contact traces to start trying to find exactly where transmission was starting. So we could see if they were happening in restaurants or pubs, but those plans have had to be shelved since because obviously if testing is under strain, contact tracing is under immense strain as well. Yeah, it is. And I mean, they, they did pilot um, that attempt to do that sort of retroactive um, contact tracing. But any kind of complex contact tracing is it, it, just not really possible to, to do at the moment because the basics, you know, in, in the basics, they're coming under pressure. That surge in testing puts obvious pressure on the contact tracing system as well. In the middle of December, we were contacting 9,000 people per week between positive cases and their contacts. On New Year's Eve, 13,000 people were contacted. That was just one day. Now, the Taoiseach has previously said if we reach 2,000 cases per day, it'll be a significant challenge for the contact tracing system. We have capacity to make around 7,500 calls per day, but as I already mentioned, we exceeded that with 13,000 on New Year's Eve. So we are stretching our capacity, but it's not sustainable to keep doing that. Yeah, and if you think about people's Christmas days, their contacts were generally much above two or three that, that we had been keeping it down to. And that obviously, as you said, has a huge impact on our hospitals. Can we just run through what's actually happening in our hospitals and ICU in terms of numbers uh, and what we know? Yeah, so, I mean, in terms of ICU capacity, we are unfortunately not where we need to be if we want to cope with what seems to be coming down the line, what's ahead of us in the coming weeks. Our numbers have improved from pre-COVID time. So before the pandemic, there were 225 ICU beds in the public system. When the first wave hit, temporary surge capacity brought us to 354. So just to remind people uh, what I mean when I say surge capacity, these are beds that are temporarily converted. Uh, so high dependency unit beds, pre-operative and post-operative theatre beds. These were brought back into service when the case numbers dropped back down and non-COVID services resumed in hospitals because they were obviously needed uh, for other services, uh, for operations, uh, for example. Uh, and the staff working on those beds were also needed back at their usual jobs because they also work in very specialised areas. In terms of where we are now, I checked with the HSC this week. They said there are 288 permanent fully staffed beds. But the caveat there, they said, is that this is a movable number, which depends on staffing. The current rates of transmission are putting a lot of hospital staff out of action, either because they're positive themselves or because they're close contacts. And remember, we don't only have COVID patients in ICU. There are patients who require critical care beds for other reasons. Since the 1st of January, we've seen the daily numbers of available critical care beds dropped from 42 per day to 22 over this last week. And what's concerning is that our surge capacity is essentially the same as it was during the first wave. So we can still go up to about 350 and our hospitalisation numbers have already exceeded those of the peak in April 2020. 
Now, that's not to say, because I don't want to frighten people, it's not to say hospitals would be turning people away. Of course, that won't happen. Uh, they'll continue to treat people and, the, you know, healthcare workers, we know, will continue to do their very best for people. But this week, Liam Woods, who's uh, the HSE National Director of Acute Operations, explained that once we pass that 350 mark with our surge capacity in ICU, the level of care is just not the same. It can't be. ICU beds, they require a high level of staffing, but they also require staff who are really highly trained. It's very specialist training. And some additional staff were, of course, trained up in the last wave and since because we have additional permanent beds, but not enough. Um, and the short term training, you know, really just can't replace that permanent clinical staff who would normally run ICU capacity. Yeah, so it's it, nothing, as you said, can be sugar coated here. So, Conal, we're at level five. Um, but is there anything more that we can do? Are future restrictions possible? Will we be looking at even tighter uh, restraints on, on what we can do in our lives? Absolutely, it's possible. Um, I think it, the Tonshta uh, said on Sunday that there's a strong case current restrictions to be left in place until most of those at risk have been vaccinated. And that, that could mean going into February. But he also said additional restrictions can't be ruled out. Um, the current restrictions were brought in on the 30th of December and he said they must be given time to work. However, with the rate of um, of change and how things are moving. There are a number of things the government could look at. The big question for a lot of people would be the leaving cert. We saw it in Northern Ireland, the A-levels and the GCSEs were cancelled. In England, they're going to move to a school-based assessment system this year. Um, but the government, the message from the government currently is very strong that the leaving cert will go ahead. And I think the, the key question, both in terms of the current restrictions and this current wave we're seeing, is that it seems that so much of it's been linked to December and socialization around Christmas. Health officials and government are going to be asking themselves over the coming weeks, well, was this an aberration? And are we going to be able to get the cases back down to where we need them to be? Um, so it's it's all up in the air at the moment. We've never introduced a curfew. We've seen that happen in numerous countries across the world, even in somewhat Northern Ireland. That may be another option for the government to consider. Yeah, but as you said, maybe we don't need it because it's not Christmas anymore. So maybe we will all be as compliant as we should be. So it's something to, to keep an eye on. Michelle, in the middle of all this, the vaccine rollout is happening. It is continuing. People are getting vaccinated in, in Ireland every day. But what's the progress on it? Yeah, I mean, I think with everything we've been talking about here, it is very hard. I find it very hard myself to feel optimistic about anything, really. Um, but we do have this one chink of light. The vaccine is here. Around 4000 people received their first dose in the first few days of the rollout. And um, we're expecting by the end of this week, 35000 people will have received the jab. And um, Tijak Michal Martin has said the aim by the end of February is to have up to 135,000 people vaccinated with both doses. And, you know, this would be 75,000 people in long-term care facilities and up to 60,000 frontline healthcare workers. And that's obviously great news because those are some of our most vulnerable people right now. Uh, and that hopefully for people will provide some comfort, but there's still uncertainty about how the rest of the rollout will work. What happens next? And Michal Martin said, it's impossible to nail down a date for when everyone who wants a vaccination will have it. And the government said they have assurances from Pfizer-BioNTech for the next two months. But beyond that, it's not certain what level of supply we'll have. Um, and just to add a, a small positive to this, I suppose we have to celebrate the positives when they come. Uh, you've already mentioned that the European Medicines Agency has approved uh, the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine, uh, which is also 
also a, a two dose mRNA vaccine. So we do expect doses of the Moderna vaccine to arrive in Ireland shortly. And once it is delivered, it should allow us to increase the numbers we vaccinate by an extra 10,000 per week, the government has said. So uh, sm small bits of, of good news that we can we can clutch to, I think, over the coming weeks. I might just add to that, actually, Michelle, as well, that, um, you know, people are you know, struggling at the moment and seeing the daily case numbers go up and it's it's tough for people. But another perhaps chink of light would be that the chief medical officer, Dr. Tony Hoolan, confirmed earlier this week that vaccine numbers will in the coming weeks be added to the to the NEFIT press releases and the HSE and the HPSE will be publishing stats on that. So that's definitely one to keep an eye on. I'd actually love to end on that positive note, but Conal, I had one more question about something that happened over Christmas for you. Um, in the middle of, of those Christmas days, we heard about a problem with an IT system that was used for logging cases. Can you tell us exactly what happened, what problems it did cause, and did it have actual impact on patients or people with COVID-19? Basically, what happened was the, the daily case numbers that we see reported by NEFIT are taken from what's known as CIDR. It's a computerized infectious disease reporting system, which is used by the HPSC. What happens is positive lab results, um, both serial and community lab results, are processed. They're logged, the number of them each day, and they're then sent over and processed and put up in this CIDR system. And those figures are then taken by NEFIT and put into, say, the daily press release and the numbers you'll see alerted every day. But what happened was, essentially, the system became overwhelmed. As Michelle has already touched upon, a lot of people didn't go for tests over Christmas. They waited a few days. So what we saw was on the 26th, 27th, 27th, uh, 28th say of December, this huge wave of people coming in for tests and it meant, and this is obviously the current surge, we saw thousands and thousands of positive test results. The system, which was an old system, wasn't built to cope with this many, with, with this number of cases. So what essentially happened was a, a backlog well, was created. Now, I think it's really important to say that this didn't affect um, the treatment of patients. Um, people were contacted, people were told to self-isolate, close contacts were were informed, um, but, but it was just the way that the cases are reported each day was affected. And in a sense, what we've seen over the last week is for what we've been told is to pay a lot more attention to the number of positive swabs in labs each day, because that's a much a uh, clearer indicator of the number of daily cases and the spread of disease at the moment. It's been around, you know, five, six, seven thousand at times the last week, the daily number of positive swabs, whereas we may have only seen times 1,700 cases reported. And this obviously confused people, but I think it's just important to point out that uh, patient treatment and people infected with COVID-19 wasn't affected by that. It was simply an IT issue and created a backlog. Now, I understand that the backlog is nearly sorted, that, that it's been it's being resolved at the moment. And in the next day or two, we should be back to a level where case numbers that are reported each day on the CIDR system more or less match the number of uh, positive swabs in laboratories. There's a few lessons, uh, even from that answer alone, about making sure you ask for your test uh, in a timely manner and also for there to be pandemic investment and planning uh, by governments across the world, including our own uh, in, in the near future. I guess that's not the positive end to it, but I'm sure Conal and Michelle will be back and hopefully we'll, we'll be doing more vaccination podcasts with more positive news in the, in the coming weeks and months. But thank you so much for coming in and explaining all of that to us. Thanks, Sinead. Thanks, Sinead. Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thank you to Michelle and Conal for all of their work on this episode. As we start the new year, we'd love to hear from you about possible topics for the podcast. If you have anything you'd like to see covered, please email us at podcasts at 
And if you'd like to support the work of The Explainer, please head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute where you can make a one-off contribution or sign up as a monthly supporter. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by producers Aoife Barry and Nikki Ryan. If you're enjoying these episodes, please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And more importantly, share with a friend who you think will enjoy them. Thank you and catch you next time.